hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin West. To order or download additional resources, please visit kevinwest.org. How many of you know Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost? It doesn't say he came to seek and to save who was lost. That's our gospel. His gospel is, I came to seek seeking to save that which was lost. What was lost was the relationship, the authority, and the dominion that God had given Adam. Now, when you get the authority, you get the who. So he knew he had to take the cross on, right? And when he took the cross on, he brought back mankind. But his objective was the love that he had for people the love he had for his creation, which was his motivator, right? Sin is a part of the cross, but love is the point of the cross. Make sense? That's important. If you, if you see the cross and the first thing that pops into your head is sin, Boy, he took the sins of mankind and said, that's good, because that's true. But can you see that inverted? He loved that he died. So the point of the cross is the love. Your faith will not be, <laughs> your faith will not be measured by how least amount of sin that you have in your life. Your faith will be measured by how you act in love in your life. All right? If you are a sin measurer, you have the cross upside down. If you're a love measurer, you have it right side up. If you see yourself as trying to get away your sins, more power to you. Because you're always going to be battling trying to get away your sins. Because when one goes away, there might be another one that tries to pop up. Okay? However, if you see the love of God that is driven towards you, your sins become eclipsed by the love of God. And I'm not telling you that sin is not a bad deal, because it is. It will destroy. The wages of sin is death. But if your, if your gospel is all about measuring sin, and so sin conscious all the time, that, you, that, you, that you're going to miss the point of why Jesus truly came. This is important. Because if God's going to entrust us and steward with stewardship of the gospel of the kingdom in the earth and, and all of heaven's resources and, 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 and not only just physical resources but all the spiritual resources that come from heaven are given to us, we can't abuse it by coming from the wrong perspective. Right? If you have a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife or a child or a grandmother or a parent and your natural tendency is to see their sin, even though how blatant it is. You'll try to fix their behavior without getting them to believe the gospel of how much he loves them. 
This is powerful stuff. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say without sin, it's impossible to please God. It's, it's possible to please God. It says without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that believe God, who he is, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Right? So it's not those that without sin that please God. It's those that have faith. Faith is worked by love. Faith works by love. What motivates people and motivates you to do right is your love for him. But you can't do love and love him unless you first know how much he loves you. The woman that was coming in with the alabaster box and she comes in and she cracks open the box and the ointment goes all over Jesus and she's washing his feet and she's crying and all the religious people, I just call it the church people, the church people are gathered around watching the sinner walk down in the middle of this aisle that nobody's, she's not even got a right to be there. She barges in, who does she think she is? She points the, what breaks the box, it opens up, she washes his feet and all the people are looking at him going and a couple of the close people are worried about the offering that day. Right? Because she's going to affect, she's doing this right whenever we're supposed to be passing the plate. God forbid God move and you don't get to receive an offering. Right? So she breaks open this thing and all of a sudden people look at her and the crazy place is going crazy. Jesus says, man, this is for a memorial to me. You guys leave her alone. She's doing the most important thing. Right? She's worshiping me. The disciples are frustrated. I can't believe this. The religious people said if he really was a prophet, he would know who that person is. She's a sinner. And Jesus looks at him after the, the thing was over and he says, the one that is forgiven much loves the most, right? And then we take that and preach a message on it and we say, man, if you've got a lot on your list of sins, you're forgiven a whole lot, right? And man, if you've got a whole list and you're forgiven a whole lot, you'll love him more. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is the one that has sinned a lot and the one that's seen the least doesn't really matter as much as how much you know you've been forgiven. And the, as much as you know how much you've been forgiven, not the, the itemized list, the relational list, then you're able to embrace his love. And when you embrace his love, you can't help but love him. I told this story before, and I, for whatever reason, I feel like telling this again, but I, and I, I've said it probably a couple of times, but it's important. I had a guy tell me one time, I was having all kinds of issues with love and grace and he was telling me I was preaching it wrong and you're teaching people how to sin. And I said, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but it's, they're not asking me to do that. They're doing it anyway. You know, I, people aren't coming into my office for counsel and saying, listen, here's all the things I'm doing right. They come in my office because they're doing things wrong. Or things aren't working like they want them to work. So we had this big discussion and I'll fast forward it to the, the details, but we had this discussion at a funeral home one night, and he was really on me for weeks, and really months, and you're just, that's heresy. You can't tell people that God has forgiven them, and I said, listen, love has more power than your ability just to keep telling people to not do right. You're doing wrong. Stop. Quit. You know, looking down on people. With a, I mean, who do you think you are? You know what I mean? And the more he did that, I didn't see him by changing. They just were hiding. So I got this revelation. It was my own personal revelation that I'm sure everybody else had already had. I just late getting it. And I told him, I said, you know, his wife was sitting behind him in this, this chair 
had two rows, and I looked at him and I said, hey, I said, you know, she's listened to our conversation while he's just berating me, and I respected him because he, he, he knew more scripture than I did. And I thought, man, I can't get in a debate with him on this scripture. So he looks at me and he says, this is, you're just gonna have to tell people, you're telling people it's okay to sin. I said, no, I'm not. You're missing the whole point. I'm just telling them it's okay to accept his love. And if they accept his love, I think it's gonna take care of that sin. And I said, I'm talking about a, a real relationship of receiving the love. So he looks at me and I looked at his wife behind him and I thought, oh, God, I can't get in a debate. And I, I said, hey, listen, I said, your wife just loves you. He says, yeah, she really does. And she's smiling real big. And I said, I mean, I'm talking about she worships the ground you walk on. He said, yeah, she really does. And I said, I'm telling you, when you're, you're the last one to leave church here and she's still standing there just watching you talk and she don't ever say a word. She just, I mean, smiles from here. I mean, this woman worships the ground you walk on. I can't even believe how much she loves you. But this time he's tearing up real much, you know, as his eye. Looked at her, she's smiling. And I'm going, I just can't get over it. He goes, she's incredible. He goes, I don't know what I would do without her. And he's, he's looking at her, she's smiling. There's that love connection in their eyes, looking at each other. And I said, and I think if you had an affair on her, she would forgive you and take you back. And he looked at her and he said, I looked at me and he said, I think you're right. He's crying. She's still smiling. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. I said, then why don't you go do it? Why don't you go ahead and have that affair if you know she's going to take you back? And he, it was like a punch in the gut. He went, and I said, that's grace. Grace is when you know how much she loves you. Love, and it compels you to do right. I don't do it because I get away with it. That's not love. I do it, and I honor her because I realize how much she loves me, and that her love towards me causes me to do right towards her. I got up and walked away. Left them standing there figuring that out for themselves. Because I'm telling you, you're going to see an entire group of generation of young people and, and, and adults mature. You're going to see them coming back into the church. There's been this little distancing over the last decade. You'll see a flood coming back in because God's doing something. It's not because somebody has a good word. It's not because somebody has good music. Even though we're going to hopefully have that, it's going to be because God and the Spirit is drawing people in. Because this generation is ready, the maturity level is ready to receive the fullness of the gospel. See, you used to be able to tease people a little bit and say, man, God wants to heal you. God wants to bless you. God wants to, and then what people would do is say, okay, I can hear that. This is good. And then when after a while, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So how many times are you going to be able to tell people? So then we change our message from God's going to heal you. God wants to, we change our message to God's going to, because that takes the responsibility off of us. God's going to, God's going to, God's going to, God's going to. So we get people to come in, and next thing you know, we've got them going to the next service. Got them going to the next week. We got them going to the next time. We got them going to the next, and then all of a sudden, the gospel becomes elongated and projected way out there, when in my Bible, it says it happened 2,000 years ago. And when John was on the Isle of Patmos, minding his own business, and he heard the angel of the Lord speak behind him, he looks behind him, which means he had to come back to see the revelation. So the revelation is behind you for you to walk in it in your future. And the revelation behind you is the cross. But how you see the cross determines how you see your future. If you see the cross as sin conscious, you'll miss where you're going. 
because you'll be measuring your life based on the sin, as how much sin you have, as much as you don't have. Some days you're better, some days you're worse. That's not how it works. It's love conscious, which means we have relationship with him. I've heard it preached. It's not about religion, it's not about relationship. Anything you're doing to appease him is religion. Anything. Anything you're trying to get his approval on, you're in religion. Because the only thing that gets his approval is faith. That pleases him. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, but faith works by love. So if you're not, you can't build faith unless you hear the right gospel. And if faith works by love, the right gospel has to be built on love, not built on sin or anti-sin. Is that okay? You want your kids to do right, let them know how much you love them. Then when you correct their behavior, it's coming from a relationship of love not just trying to make you make them better people and you're making them happy and you're making their, they're making you happy and we're just correcting behavior all the time. It comes from a relationship. We all right? Oh gosh, this is good. I'm telling you. We're talking about David today too, by the way. Now, here's the deal. If you know the truth, the truth will set you. We all know that, right? Could I say it this way? If you know prayer, then prayer will set you free. It doesn't say that, does it? If you sing, then the singing will set you free. It doesn't say that either, right? We'll go charismatic on this in a minute. If we dance, the dance will set you free. Doesn't say that either, right? What's it say? We'll set you free. The truth, and to know the truth. Nothing but the truth, so help you God. The truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Way, truth, life. It's a process, but it's all him. Way is the author, Truth is the process, the journey. He's in the journey too. And life is the finisher, and that's him as well. We can see him at the beginning, we can see him at the end, but it's very difficult to see him in the journey. It doesn't take faith to start it, and it doesn't take faith for him to finish it, because he's the author and finisher of our What it does take faith, though, is what? In the middle, in the journey, when you want to quit, when it looks like it's going to fall apart, when it doesn't look like what you thought it did when he authored it, when you see so far away it's from the end, when you see the damage that's being done, or the, the, when you want to take matters into your own hand, this process right here in the middle takes faith. From the time you got the sickness, from the time you get healed, there is a process. Sometimes it can happen instantly, and I've seen it happen. But if it doesn't, that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to be healed and whole. That just means something on our end, a lack of understanding. I don't know what it all means at times, but I know this for a fact. 
Because I don't understand doesn't mean I can change my theology about him. Right? Listen to this. Samuel anoints David as king. David comes out over the next several years and he fights Goliath. The word Goliath means mediator. He stood between the victory. Okay? So Goliath is there. David takes Goliath out, cuts his head off, takes the sword from Goliath, with his, he cuts his head off, takes that sword, gives it back with the head to Saul. David then has to go back out into the, the, uh, the field. Well, actually, he's actually with, with um, Saul. Saul won't let him go back to the field because this time now he had to leave home. It looks like David is going to become the king at that point because, after all, Samuel anointed him. He went back out into the field. He comes. He kills Goliath. He's supposed to get the, the Saul's daughter. He's supposed to get a lot of wealth, and he's supposed to be exempt from taxes. That's a pretty good deal. Saul comes to him and says, look, I'm not going to give you my daughter, oldest daughter, but I am going to give you another one. I've already given my other daughter away. So David gets tricked into getting the one he was, different lady that he was supposed to get. So from that point on, David did wisely in God's eyes. We talked about last week in Saul's eyes. And David became this captain over this army of Israel. And he was going out fighting all the Philistines and all the different people. And as he won the battles, everybody began to shout, Saul killed 1,000 and David killed 10,000. So the jealousy creeped in on Saul. Saul's eyes were now fixed on David. And now Saul was going to kill David because Saul was jealous of David. David and Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan became connected at the hip. They formed a covenant where they said, we're, gonna, we're, we're blood brothers. So that means me and you, but also all of my offspring and all of your offspring from generations are going to be connected. And you're going to take care of them, I'm going to take care of you and all of them. They formed a covenant. Jonathan comes back to his dad and says, listen, I don't know why you're trying to kill David because David would play the harp and as he was playing the harp in front of Saul, Saul would have these evil spirits come on him. And when, the, when David would play the harp, the evil spirits would go. But Saul had this javelin in his hand and boom, he was trying to kill David and pin him against the cave. So David would slip out and get away from Saul trying to kill him. But David didn't do wrong in Saul's eyes. Or David didn't do wrong in God's eyes. David was doing right in God's eyes. Because every time he was called out onto the carpet to do something good, David would do it with his whole heart and his whole mind, dealt wisely with it, and he did it unto the Lord. But Saul kept trying to kill him. So much so that Jonathan went to his dad, Saul, and said, Dad, listen, we got a problem. What is it that David has done against you? Saul says, you're right. He hasn't done anything against me. We're not, I'm not going to try to kill him anymore. So David is now coming into the army, back into the family, going to sit at the table. Everybody's going to be happy. But once again, Saul became tormented because of David. Tried to kill him again. So David flees again. Jonathan comes to his dad one more time and says, this is getting out of control. You're doing what's wrong. Saul says, why are you trying to help him when, when you're the one that's going to be the king? You're my boy. And Jonathan said, I've got a covenant with him. He's doing right in God's eyes. David said, or Saul said, I'm going to try to kill you. So Saul tried to kill his own son for protecting David. At that point, David saw, Jonathan said, well, this is true. He's trying to, <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty good indication if he's trying to kill you, he'll kill him. Saul was tormented in his mind. At that point, David runs, and Jonathan says, look, I don't blame you for going. Go. 
Now, David is on the journey. Now, keep in mind, he was anointed king several years earlier, had to go back out with the lions and the bears and fight them to save the sheep. He gets summoned into his dad's house and says, take the, the bread and the cheese, and I want you to go check on my older boys because they're fighting in Saul's army. David gets there. He sees that this Goliath is going to take every one of them out. Saul's afraid. The boys are afraid. The army's afraid. And David said, I can do this. So David takes him out. David thinks everything's good. And surely in David's mind, man, God authored me to be king over here with Samuel. After I take Goliath's head off, surely this will be the finisher of the faith and I can become king. What David didn't realize, his journey was just now beginning. The trail, the run, the fight, the fear, the internal change and transformation that had to go in. David was physically able to kill a bear and a lion, but David had to go through some character processing on the journey. Your journey, your wilderness, your, your in-between times from here to there is for you to gain two things, a revelation of him and a revelation of you. If you get a revelation of him, it'll change your revelation of you. If you see him for who he really is, you'll see you for who you really are. See, two things were happening today. Steph was going, when they were singing, Brendan was singing it too. Um, what was the song, The Victory? Um, the Anthem, right? And he's seated. And Stacey yelled, we're seated. You got the victory. He got the victory. We got the victory. See, when you begin to see him, you begin to see you. Because what he's really saying, about, you're saying about him, you're really saying about you. So if you see him in victorious positions, you start seeing yourself in victorious position. But when you're on the run and you're in the process and you're worried and paranoia begins to set in and your own mind starts playing tricks on you, it takes a battle for you to stay fixated on him and see him for who he really is. When you're going to all those doctor's appointments and you still gotta save victory in Jesus, when her heart has not turned back towards you or his heart has not turned back towards you and you still have to say victory belongs to him, right? That's tough. What, what do you do when the rug gets pulled out from under you when you thought things were going one way and it turned and now you're going in a complete opposite direction and you gotta still have faith. I didn't say you had to be without sin even though we don't want you with sin. I didn't say you had to pray more, even though we want you to pray more. I didn't say you had to pray, get in your Bible more, even though we want you in your Bible more. The battle is your faith, so it keeps your mind at peace in the midst of the storm. That's the battle. When you can't pay the bills, right, and you're calculating all you know how to calculate, and it still isn't coming out like it should, and you're going, oh, my God, the natural tendency of a person is to, what can I do to fix it? And that becomes the avenue instead of him being the source. It's okay to do those things with him being the source, but if you're doing those things in substitute of him being the source, you're the source. 
That's a good place for an amen right there. So David says, I thought I had this. Now I'm on the run. He goes to this Philistine king. He makes his way to this guy and he says, hey, he says, you know, um, King Saul sent me here. Now the guy was suspect to David. Saul sent me here on some business. So since he was a representation of the king, the man received him, right? And, and the man received him. The word comes back to Saul and says, why did you receive him when I'm chasing after him? And the man says, well, he told me he was a part of your business plan. He, he thought, I was here, thought he was on official business. No, he wasn't official business. Well, David had taken off. Now here's where it gets good. So David now runs to a, a city where the king has already seen David's reputation. He's already been found out how good he is. So the king was thinking, David is coming here, witty, and he's going to turn on us. And I can't get close to him and trust in him because something's not quite right. If I let him close, he'll take over this place. Why? Because he had already heard Saul killed 1,000 and David killed 10,000. Y'all tracking with me? So the king looks at this guy and they bring David into him and David recognized that the king knew he was a little concerned about him. So David acts like a madman. He starts foaming at the mouth. He starts acting like he's got something wrong with him. I mean, acting like he's not there. So the king looks at him and says, well, I don't have to worry about him. I don't have to worry about him because look at him. He's acting like he's a, something wrong. Now, David did that. Now, David's a man after God's own heart. David's a man that plays the harp of the evil spirits go. David's a man that kills the lion and the bear. David's the man that takes Goliath's head off with his own sword, comes back and brings it, lays it up with only five smooth stones in a bag. And he's standing before a man. And he has to act like he's lost his mind. Because fear had gripped David. Fear had gripped the king. Samuel anointed his head with oil. It ran down to his feet and he said, I'm the guy. I'm supposed to be successful. I'm supposed to be prosperous. I'm supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be. And I get called out here. And I didn't call myself out. He called me here. And here I am now. And I just took out Saul. What else can I do? Here's king. Here's the head and here's the, the sword. At the place that David was making himself not in his always right mind. The place right before that, David went to the king and the king said, you're from the Saul. He said, yeah, he said, I don't have a sword on me though. I, I didn't bring a sword. I, didn't, I don't think I'm equipped. He said, do you have any kind of sword? David knew what he was doing. David was trying to get a weapon because he didn't have one. He knew Saul and his guys were coming to kill him. And David was by himself. David asked the king, do you have a sword? He said, I don't have anything, man. He goes, all I've got here is the sword that you killed Goliath with. David said, I'll take it. I know it works. You would think that sword would have been a remembrance to David of, God, you still got me. But David was still afraid. He was still scared. So David runs to the next city. The king says, if he's going to turn on us, I'm going to have to. David says, act like he was just not all there. 
foaming at the mouth. And the king says, well, just let him go. David has the sword. Listen to this. David looks at the king and all these men that were in debt, were busted, misfits, had all kinds of problems. All 600 of them go with David. David goes and hides in a cave. So now David is surrounded by people that got problems. Why? Because David acted like he did. David took on a persona that wasn't like he had been anointed to have. When you're afraid, when you're on the run, and you don't know up from down and around from another round, sometimes you, have to, you begin to act like you're something you're not. And you will begin to attract people that are just like, if you're full of fear, you'll attract people that are full of fear. If you're full of depression, you'll attract people that are full of depression. Okay, I'm gonna go here just for a minute because I've got 10 minutes. Y'all ready for this? If your marriage is in trouble and you're hanging out with a bunch of divorced people, man, I needed the water right then, but I didn't. Because all they're gonna say to you You're in a cave, surrounded with people just like yourself. But David thought to himself, I can't stay here. Something's not right. And he began to reflect and encourage himself in the Lord. He was a, it was, a, it was a, just a small picture of his whole life. Even though he was full of fear, he was afraid. It made him act like he, he took on a whole different personality that really wasn't him. He started having to lie and manipulate and fake himself through it but because, because he was on the run. He was in the process. Your journey, your, your middle ground, your in-between does stuff to you. It piles you into the ground. It makes you depressed. It makes you anxious. It makes you fearful. It makes you, and it's supposed to squeeze all of the junk out of you that you can't take when you're going to the next place. All your stuff comes to the surface. If you're a worrier, I promise you, your journey is going to be full of worry. And here David was in the cave. He couldn't walk anywhere looking around. There's another one. God, look at him. I love the guy, but he's, he's a mess. And here's another one over here. David couldn't get wise counsel because they were dependent on him to give counsel. They were looking to him to be the leader. What do you do, husbands? What do you do? When you're leading your house and your wife looks at you and says, well, the Bible says this, but it ain't happening. Or your kids look at you and say, where are we going? And you're going, and you're speaking faith, and you're speaking faith, and you're speaking faith, and you're speaking faith, and nothing seems to change. You make promises because you have deep belief in your heart that this is going to be good. It's going to happen. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And after a while, they don't even want to hear those promises because they're empty promises. But when he told them they weren't empty because you really believed them. So you start losing faith. Your peace of mind is gone. Your inner turmoil and you're, you're fighting within yourself and you're trying to hold back things you shouldn't say and want to say things to give hope because depression is all around you. Your kids are watching. 
Your family's watching. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. This isn't just for me. This is for all of us. And you're in the middle of this thing and you're speaking faith. And it's not that you doubt God. You just can't see him where you are right now. And you attract all these people around you. And there's always one or two that'll come and say, man, I remember when I was in that place. And you're going, encourage me. And they don't encourage you. They tell you what you should do. Facebook Live, you can go back five seconds. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to live this thing. But everybody's giving you the, what they think you should do based on what they see from their perception, but they're not with you in the cave. Even the people that are in the cave with you can't give it from your perception because it's your cave. So what do you do? You're in the cave. It's falling apart. You're anointed to be king. Victory in Jesus. And it, for a moment, you feel so good because it seems right. It, oh gosh, and you know the words from heart. It brings back an emotion from years ago and you're going, yes, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then you gotta walk right out of the church facing the reality of past due bills. A marriage that just on eggshells. Kids that are just wayward and you're feeling the burden from them. You can't fix their life and they're in a jam. Am I talking to anybody? But victory in Jesus, victory, that becomes a desperation cry rather than a revelational cry. When it's revelational, you see that situation different. When it's desperational, it still has a hold on you. Doesn't mean it's not gonna be easy. It's still gonna hurt, it's gonna be painful. It's still going to be real. It's still going to have a struggle. It's still going to be, but something on the inside begins to change. So David's over here talking to these 600 guys, getting no counsel, but just getting all kinds of problems. Nothing seems to change for David, except David sits down and he pulls out a, a tablet, probably some stone, and he begins to pen a psalm. And it goes something like this. I was king. I know I am. I'm supposed to be king. I honor Saul. My God, I took the guy's head off for him. Why is he trying to kill me? I didn't ask for this. You called me into this. I'd been better off out there with the lion and the, the bear. I should have just stayed over there when things weren't that much of a the hassle. You liked me when I didn't say much and I didn't talk back. You liked me when I would just reduce myself down. You liked me when you could walk over me and control me, but now that I'm stepping up and get a little bit of, you know, pet behind my step and I'm not gonna let you just walk over me. Yeah. So David says, something's not right here. Something's got to change. 
And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I'm sure those guys are looking over here, going to 600 of them all busted like he is. He's in a cave hiding. Just, just acted like a, a mad person. Lied. Manipulated the situation. Circumstances. He, if he had, he's working the system. He's working his process. He's working his journey. Because he don't see what he thought he should see. So he begins to take matters into his own hand and try to make it, manipulate it, and fix it himself. And, and, and his intentions are not bad. His intentions are good because the pain is so heavy. The fear is so overwhelming. The anxiety is just too much to handle. So he hides in a cave and he remembered. I wasn't in a cave the last time, but I was in a field minding my own business with some sheep and there wasn't anybody else around. And I remember A lion coming across and a bear coming across trying to take the sheep. And he begins to look at the 600 people gathered around him. And all of a sudden he has a revelation of, these aren't misfits. These aren't busted people. These aren't indebted people and broken and bruised and outcasts and nobody wants them. These are sheep. And he looks, 600 of them, they're looking at him. After him just making a mess of the situation to get him in a cave. Put Psalm 34 up there for me if you don't mind. And he looks at him and he says, they say you're outcast. They say you're bruised and beaten and in debt and you won't melt to anything. He says, but I'm starting to see sheep. As he looks out into the landscape from the cave, he pins that first verse. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul, my mind, my emotions shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together what from the cave yeah when you're when you're in the middle of the breakdown when your mind is playing tricks on you when the pressures of life are mounted around you oh magnify the Lord with me and let his exalt his name together I sought the Lord in my cave when I was down and I was out and I didn't know where to go or where to go to turn to I sought the Lord and he, and he heard me. This isn't now desperation. This is coming from a revelation. And he delivered me from all my fears. Everything that had me bound, he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. Oh, wait a minute. Not ashamed? No. But, but you don't understand. Your mind and your enemy is going to say, see, I know what you've done in your life. You had to, you know that problem, you still deal with it. That's still that little inclin inclination of pride and you dabble a little bit here and you dabble a little bit there and you, you, do, you, know, you, you know what? 
Why? To get you full of shame. You know how you spout off at the mouth and you really shouldn't? And you get angry and you really shouldn't say those things and all? The enemy's telling you all those things. Why? Because he can get you ashamed. The poor man cried out. Who's the poor? Poor in spirit. Humble. Broken. And the Lord heard him. Look at this. And he saved him out of all his troubles. This is pinned in the cave. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. And God delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. He's saying this to 600 busted people. There is no want to those. Why? There's no want. Not just your needs, but your wants. There's no want to him that fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger because they're immature. They're coming out of desperation. They're coming out of a lack of understanding. They're coming out of where the journey and the process, the, listen to me, the divorce process, the separation anxiety, the, the, the unknowns, the, 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 the debt, the physical problems, the relational problems, all of those problems in the process when you can't fix it, it's not what you want it to be. And you can't make it all perfect in the process of that journey. That's when you begin to say to him, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. This has got to become a part of who you are, a pillar of what you are built on. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He's talking to the 600. After just lying to a king, running for his life, depressed, anxious, sick in his stomach, nervous. Who is, this, who is the man who deserve, desires life? and loves many days that he may see good. See, when you're in the process, some days you wanna die. Someday when you're being pruned and purged and you feel like you're in the fire, you don't even wanna live. And that, that suicide thing comes on your head. Maybe I just go ahead and give the kids, uh, maybe I just ought to just throw up my hands and quit because the pressure's too much, you get physically tired, you're weary, and you don't even have the answers and know what even to do. And you've tried everything. The last 10 things you tried didn't work, even though you thought they would. You gotta start loving your life. And loves many days that he may see good. Oh, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Now listen, this isn't, I'm not talking about just cussing. Because sometimes that feels good. You know, I've heard some of you. I've been in your car. <laughs> Keep your tongue from evil. What that's saying is don't get caught up in agreeing with the enemy of your fears. And your lips from speaking deceit. It's not talking about deception out there. It's talking about self-deception in here. Where you're deceiving yourself. And, getting, and you begin to worship that burden, that pain, that hurt, that process, that empty promise, that hope deferred, you begin to worship that because that becomes the mountain that you see. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord 
are on the righteous and his ears are open. Listen to this. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You know why that's important on here? Because if you remember correctly, when, when David come up out of killing all the Philistines, the women were singing, David, Saul killed a thousand. David killed 10,000. And the Bible said, Saul eyed David. So the eye of his enemy was on him. But the Lord says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to your cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all the troubles. The, the, the King James says it this way, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord God delivers them out of them all. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as a contrite spirit. There it is. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord God delivers them out of them. Some, a few, occasionally. But listen, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers those that sin less. The Lord delivers those that pray more. The Lord delivers them out of the ones that read more scripture and can quote text and verse. No, those are all good. It all builds up. But the Lord delivers them out of, our, of the righteous. And let's, let me tell you something. There's not one man that's righteous. No, not one. But there is one that's righteous in Jesus Christ. Amen. And because he is made righteous, guess who he has made righteous with him? He made you righteous too. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's why they couldn't break a bone on Jesus on the cross. Because he was righteous. See, they would break the, the legs so he would hurry up and die when they were hanging on the cross because they were holding themselves up. But the Lord would not allow one bone being broken on Jesus' body. That's a fulfillment of that prophecy. He guards all his bones. And guess what? Out of the side came the water and the blood out of Jesus' side. And Jesus says, you're my bride. You're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And if we're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, not one of your bones is going to get broken either. Because if they break your bone, they break his. You can be broken in spirit, but you're not going to be broken in your life. You can be broken in your mind, but you can't be broken overall in wholeness. Only for a moment, the afflictions come, but the Lord God delivers them out of them all. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Stand with me. David wrote, wrote seven psalms on his run in his hiding place when he was running for his life. Psalm 57, 
7, 56, 34, 37, 52, 142, and 54. All those psalms that y'all sing in church, we sing and they put music to them. We sing them here. David wrote those on the run. As we continue on with the journey with David, you're going to see. Oh, David made it to the, the crown, but it wasn't easy. David had to go through an internal inversion of his life, of revelation. The part of the maturation process is allowing God to reveal himself to you so you can see yourself as he sees you. And the journey and the process and the afflictions of the righteous mature you. Why is that? Because when you get a revelation of who he is so that you can get a revelation of who you are, the 600 people that are around you that are busted and broken and beaten to, you begin to lead them. Your family, your friends, the lost, the hurting, the bound up religious people, all of them. My message today is pretty simple. David penned a psalm, run, hurting, life upside down, not experiencing what he thought was a promise going to come to pass. Couldn't answer unanswered questions. Didn't handle everything perfectly. Made some mistakes, told a few lies, was out of character in some things. Up one day, down the next. But he was grounded enough to know where to turn in the middle of the process. And when he turned back to the Lord and he looked at him and he pinned the, the psalm, he said, I bless the Lord at all times. Not just in the good times, but even in the bad times. Even when I'm not feeling like blessing the Lord, I'll bless the Lord. See, you'll get through this, wherever you, this is right now for you, you'll get through it. And you'll come out on the other side better than you were when you went in. And you'll say these words. You'll say, God, I would never want to go through that ever again in my life. But I wouldn't trade that cave experience for anything in this world. Because you're stronger, you're wiser, and you're better than you've ever been. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You said death's only sleeping. I want you to personally reflect on your life, where you are right now. My heart was beating. I rose up from my grave. And my fear was turned to faith. Because you came. I knew that you would come. You sang. My heart it woke up. I'm not afraid. I see your face. I am alive. You came. I knew that you would come. God, you are. 
to say it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Say it out loud. All right, I got 600 busted people. I'm going to have to say this and lead it. Are you ready? I will bless the Lord at all times. Say it with me. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boasts in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he hear, his ears are open to them. They're the cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, and to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and the delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Are you ready? Father, in Jesus' name, we declare your word in the midst of our process, in the midst of our journey. 
We thank you, God, that you're faithful and you're just and your word is forever settled in heaven. We thank you, God, that you look over your word to perform it and you see it all come to pass. God, help us in our weakness. Help us in our journey. Help us when we feel weary and our well-doing. God, help us and strengthen us that we might be able to be encouraged so we can encourage other people. Help us to raise our head when we're feeling low. Help us to stay focused, God, when the life starts getting overwhelming. We bless you and we thank you and we bless you and we thank you and we say, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that's in within me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. If, so, if you need prayer for anything, physical prayer, really for your mind, your, your emotions. I want you to come up front here this evening, this morning, and we're going to pray with you.